Good morning, Oikos Church. How are y'all doing? So how many of you enjoy movies like World War Z? Or, yes, or The Walking Dead. Do you like the show The Walking Dead? No one's going to be honest here, are you? How many of you have seen a preview to The Walking Dead? Sylvia Schmidt, please raise your hand because you've watched at least two or three episodes until you said, I could not watch this anymore. We forced them because we were living with them for like six months and that's what happens is that when you live with someone, they have to do what you do as well. It's supposed to be the opposite of what, you know, opposite of that, but you know, it's, it's the way it goes. But I love those apocalyptic kind of shows. I love people fighting to survive or trying to be creative about how they're going to survive on whatever event it may be, whether it's zombies. Isn't this awesome? <laughs> you know, I never thought when I went to seminary that I would get to preach about zombies or anything like that, but here I am. So, zombies, viruses some weird, weird disease that no one knows the cure to and you're trying not to catch it, right? You guys love that stuff? Or am I just, thank you. <laughs> Ashley, you can yes. sit right here. <laughs> so the theme this morning as we talk about risk, risky, the story as we go into it today is actually very similar. You're going to be like, the Walking Dead, it's very similar because what the character in this story is facing are events that are beyond his control and they're just trying to survive. And he is doing whatever it takes for that survival. So let's take a listen to the story. For seven years, the Midianites came into Israel like a swarm of locusts. They moved across the land, taking everything off it, all the crops and farm animals. They left nothing for the Israelites to eat, and the people became very desperate and had to find hiding places in the mountains. A man named Gideon was also hiding from the Midianites. He had to thresh his wheat in a wine vat instead of an open threshing floor. The angel of the Lord came and sat under an oak tree nearby. He said, the Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. Gideon said, O oh my Lord, if God is with us, why is he allowing all these bad things to happen? Where are the wonderful miracles our father told us about? God is no longer fighting for us. But the angel said, I am sending you to deliver Israel from the Midianites. Gideon was shocked. Lord, how can I deliver Israel? I'm a nobody. Then the Lord said, Yes, but I'll be with you, and you'll have victory. Once again, the Midianites came into Israel and camped in a valley. The Spirit of the Lord filled Gideon, and he sent out messengers for the people to come, ready to fight. Gideon prayed, Lord, give me a sign. He then put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor and said to God, I'll know you'll deliver us in the morning if the dew is on the fleece and all the ground is dry. He got up early the next morning and found that the fleece was soaking wet, but the ground was dry. Gideon said, Lord, don't be angry with me. Allow me one more test. This time let the fleece remain dry and all the dew around the ground be wet. In the morning the fleece was dry and the dew was all over the ground. 
story is found in Judges chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. We're going to be hitting just a couple of the characteristics of Gideon. Gideon is a survivor. The Midianites are the zombies. Or the virus. Or whatever you call a crushing force against you. The Midianites were so cruel. Listen to these words because they are very strong, scary, if you actually step into the story and don't just skim through the words. They were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Marauders, enemy hordes, thick as locusts. These are the describing words of the Midianites, of the force that was against Israel. Israel was forced into starvation. They were forced into hiding. These were dark days. Sometimes we read this story and I think maybe to a fault we focus too much on Gideon testing the Lord to see if he was real. When I read through the story this past week, what the Lord spoke to me specifically was how there was this widespread depression among the Israelites and really a loss of focus that anyone would be able to help them. Almost an apathetic response that we're defeated and there's nothing we can do about it. And in contrast, in the midst of all this depression, in the midst of this darkness, God sees Gideon. And I thought, why did he see Gideon? What was different about Gideon than the rest of the Israelites? All hiding in the caves. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 says this. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath a great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress, hide from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. So here are a couple things that I saw about Gideon that seemed to be contrasted against the rest of the Israelites. At this moment in time, he was not hiding in the mountains. So this is a big risk. The hiding places in the mountains were the 
sanctuary for the Israelites. But Gideon wasn't there when the angel of the Lord appeared to him. He wasn't up in one of the hiding places. He wasn't crouched low in a dark place. He was down in the valley because Ophrah, though they don't know exactly where it was, more than likely it was down in the valley, obviously where you could actually do some farming. So if you know something about hiding, like how many of you play Fortnite? I know all the kids left, so if I'm kind of, <laughs> I guess I'm a loner here. Fortnite requires, if you're not very good, which is me, you have to hide. <laughs> because otherwise all these people from all over the globe are trying to kill you. So in Fortnite, there's this cool thing that's called it's kind of like a magic bush. And if you put it on, you can crouch in and you can just sit there. And as the storm comes, if you keep moving slowly, you can evade any kind of person that's trying to kill you. Can you tell how much I love these kind of things? <laughs> when this game came out, I was like, man, they, they talked to me somehow and said, what kind of game would you love to play? And I try to play it down because I don't want the kids to think that I'm addicted. But <laughs> hiding is essential. Over a year ago, we went on a trip with the Arius family. And we played a game, Kick the Can. And there was, there's some real security in this game if you hide well. And so in Kick the Can, you have a can that's not this big. And the person who's it is out searching for the other people. And you feel more secure when you hide with others. Because you play in the dark. And we just happen to be out in the country. So you're thinking while you're hiding, snakes, other animals and critters. And so sometimes it's nice just to have someone with you. And you'll hide and you'll try to be in the shadows because the person that's in the light with a can, your object is to go and kick that can before they can jump in your name. It takes a big risk when you're down in the grass, in the dark, and you can't see the person that's trying to get you to jump out and run as fast as you can in the dark to go kick that can because you're probably going to get caught. I mean, running in the dark is a big enough risk, right? And all of us took some good spills. The Israelites were hiding because security was there. Now, Gideon, we do find him. He was hiding. But he wasn't hiding with everybody else. He was alone. And that's what I found that was interesting first thing about Gideon that seemed to contrast against the rest of the Israelites is that he was willing to jump out of his secure hiding place, come out of the mountains all the way down into the valley. He was willing to leave the strongholds that they had. 
for a risk to bring food back to his people. So that brings us to the second thing. He was fighting for hope. So when God encountered him, when the angel of the Lord encountered Gideon, he finds him fighting for hope. He was threshing wheat. So the first thing I thought about as I read through the story is, well, where did he get this wheat? Because as we read through, every time they would farm, the marauders, those people, the Midianites who were as thick as locusts, would come and destroy everything, taking everything, leaving the land bare. So where did Gideon get this wheat? I did a little research. I should know this because I'm from a, you know, a farm. I'm a farm boy. But I wonder, I was like, well, how much wheat would you need to plant so that you could survive? And when I did the research, you really only need to plant a 10 by 10 square. And you can make enough bread from that wheat to survive for over half a year. So I thought, oh, so Gideon probably didn't have a huge thing of wheat. He probably planted this in some place that was off in the boonies, which would require him to leave the strongholds, not just to thresh wheat. This means Gideon was risking day after day making sure his wheat would grow. Gideon was risking harvesting his wheat. Gideon was then risking to thresh it. That word threshing requires a lot more risk because you can't thresh wheat if you never planted it. So Gideon didn't leave the stronghold once. Gideon was coming down into the valley several times. I thought, wow, this is a guy fighting for survival. He was fighting so his people, his family, could live. I think some of us can relate to this story, not so much with Gideon, but probably with the rest of the Israelites that stood or crouched down hiding up in the strongholds. Is it mere fact of saying, I'm going to leave where I'm currently safe for the hope that I could maybe do something is usually out of our wheelhouse. We may look at someone else to say, well, maybe you can go do it. You're stronger, or may you know how to do it better than I do. Why don't you go do it? We'll be here for you when you come back. Or I'll have a fire going when you bring back the food. But for Gideon, he was different. Gideon knew that there was no hope for them if no one would fight for it. I'd ask questions if I was doing what Gideon was doing. And I tried to put myself in his shoes. How many times did he go down and plant something and have it utterly destroyed? How many times did he go down and plant something and not be able to return to it? 
and have the elements of the weather and just life take it away? How many times did he keep going down, seeing his wheat grow and go, I've got to return, I've got to return because someone has to harvest this. And did he ever ask himself the question, is it worth it? I would be asking a question, I only planted, see, since I did my research, 10 by 10 was six months, I would have planted at least a 20 by 20. Because you want it for a year. I mean, you don't want to have to go do this again right away. So he only planted a small thing. He could, I would be thinking, I didn't really plant enough. Is this even worth it? Am I only going to save just a few? Can I even save my own family? Am I just going to come down here and only be able to take a little bit back? Is it even worth it? Yet, he was there fighting for hope. The other part that I saw that was interesting was that he was recklessly sacrificial. So as the story moves on, verses 19 through 21, it says, Gideon hurried home. Now he hurried home because the angel of the Lord appeared to him. He finally understood that this was not just another person, but this was actually from the Lord. He was scared out of his mind, but then also excited. He just got done threshing wheat for food. And remember, they had no food. And the angel of the Lord says, go make a sacrifice. And he says, absolutely. So he hurried home. He cooked a young goat. And with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. Now, I might have been thinking, oh, he understands our plight, our hunger. Maybe this is, now this is fast forwarding to the New Testament. This is Old Testament. But maybe he's thinking, he, this is going to be like feeding the 5,000 kind of thing. I'm going to put this down and he's going to multiply it. And we're going to have food for a year. And I'm going to come home with bags of food. And, and the angel of the Lord is going to be with me. And the people are going to go, oh, Gideon. Gideon, you, you're the savior of all our food and hunger. Because we all know what happens when you get hungry, right? They just added the word to the Webster Dictionary. Hangry. It's an actual word. You can use it. You can spell it. It's all right. So he takes this and he puts it on the rock and he poured broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread. He's just waiting. It's going to multiply. And with the tip of the staff of his hand, the fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all that he brought. And then the angel of the Lord disappeared. When you put yourself in Gideon's position... All has been lost again. However, he was recklessly sacrificial because that is not the attitude that he had. 
Now, I think we could share that we probably would have had that attitude like, oh, crap. <laughs> he just burned up the rest of the food. He was not coming from a place where they had a thousand goats. He was threshing wheat so that they could have flour. And now it's all burned up. The people of Israel were reduced to starvation. And yet, in the midst of this, simply because the angel of the Lord said, no, I shouldn't say simply. I mean, for any of us, if an angel appeared to us and said, you should do this, we probably, right, perhaps for fear of our own life, we'd go, okay, we're going to do it. But he did it without question. Just grabbed it and put it there. He did it when he had little to give. And I thought that was a good word for us, is that oftentimes when we think we have nothing to give, the Lord still calls upon us to be reckless because he is not a God that sees things as there's nothing. He is a God that sees that there's a great abundance. And that when you are with him, you'll have abundance. So you can be reckless in your sacrifices. The other thing I saw was that God saw more in Gideon than Gideon could see in himself. Judges 6.12 says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. This is before Gideon had done really any actions that the Lord had asked him to do. He was just in a threshing floor trying to get flour. And in the midst of that, the Lord says, mighty hero or man of great valor. I think sometimes for us is that we often forget how the Lord sees us. Too often, and this is good, it's good practice. I mean, this is historic Lutheran practice. We are a poor, miserable sinner. Right? I mean, I think every one of us could have woke up today and said, I am a poor, miserable sinner. But God doesn't see us that way when he is with us. When he is with us, when Christ lives in you, he sees you as wondrously made, beautiful, his children. He says that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can take a mountain and throw it out to the sea. I thought it was interesting that Gideon could not see this in himself, which I think we all can relate to, but the Lord saw it in him and spoke it into him. Just a few verses later, he tells Gideon that you're going to save your people. And Gideon says, but Lord, 
how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. We all can relate with Gideon here. We are unprepared. We are full of sin. We have a lot of fear. This whole series, Risky, putting the why in Risky, saying yes to the risk and no to fear. When I've asked a few of you about what are some things that you've been risky about this last week, I sometimes get this blank look like, I don't want to do that. It's a nice sermon series, but that's for the other people. We often make excuses because we feel that God sees us as unneeded and unhelpful in his kingdom. That it doesn't matter if I do it because someone else will. I don't know, maybe I'm just, maybe this is just me. But oftentimes, if it's something that is outside of what I'm comfortable with, I will go, oh, not for me. Maybe somebody else. I don't want to risk failure. I don't want to risk looking stupid. I don't want to risk sharing the gospel because I haven't read the Bible. I don't want to risk this because I haven't gone to seminary. I don't want to risk praying with someone because I don't think I pray very well. Perhaps you can relate. I actually find verse 14 really interesting on how God sees Gideon. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Now, you can look in this two ways. You can say God is being sarcastic with him and he's just setting him up so that he'll say, okay, I'll go. And then he'll realize, I actually need you, Lord. So now I do need you. Or he will say, Lord, I can't do it without you, so I'm going to ask that you help me. A lot of commentaries said this, but I kind of disagree. I think that he looked at Gideon and said, I have made you. My hand is upon you. I am with you. Go do it. You have all the resources to save your people. And I'll be with you. I have wondrously made you. I think it's a good word, word for us as a church because too often I see us not struggling so much that we need God. Because people go, I mean, there is a struggle there, so I don't want to paint it. But when you believe in God and you're trying to follow him, I don't see this as a struggle that you need God. In fact, oftentimes people go, oh, I'm praying that God will help me. I'm praying that God will help me. I think we get that. Do you get that? 
Especially when life is going down the toilet, you go, ah, I need God. I need him. I need him. The problem with believers is that we forget how he made us. There is untapped potential. And he says it all over in scripture. Say a prayer and that person will be healed. He's kind of saying, hey, you, say a prayer and he'll be healed. By my name, that demon will be exercised. But you do it. If you have faith, you could feed a full nation. God sees so much more in us than we allow ourselves to see in ourselves. And this is Gideon's problem. And was so scared to risk seeing value in himself. Because he grew up being the least. He grew up in a family that was the least. He wasn't equipped. But he was. Because God made him. I think it's impossible for us to see what God has actually done in each of us. Part of it is because we have a hard time believing in what he sees. It is so important to believe that you are a sinner because we are. I mean, it's kind of like just waking up and telling the truth every day. But there's another side of this. And the other side is that you are a wondrously made saint and child of God. By simply believing in Jesus. Did you guys receive that? I saw one person shake their head. You are wondrously made. I mean, we look in the mirror. I don't know how many conversations I have with people who look in the mirror and go, there's something wrong with me. Yes, on this side of it, there is something wrong with you. You could be lazy, you could be this, you could be that. And you just, you're a sinner. But on the other side, can you not see what God sees? Doesn't mean that we have to be cocky. No, I, <laughs> I'm wondrously made. But yet in a way, God is asking you to be cocky because who made you? He did. His handprints, his thumbprint are all over you. So why wouldn't you say, I am wondrously made. I am a child of the Most High God. And I can do anything when he is with me. Can you do anything when God is with you? Yes. Who wants to say, I'm wondrously made? Come on, you shy people. Put your hand up. I am wondrously made by the Almighty God. Yes. See, don't you feel don't you feel better already? We forget this identity. We so often fall into here, which is good because it reminds us we need God. I'm not wondrously made because I do it myself. I didn't make myself. 
I'm wondrously made because he wondrously made Doris and Leray, who made me. He made me through people that came before me. And he wondrously made them. He is completely active in every era of this life. And he will be until he comes again. I see the Lord calling Gideon to see who made him. Because Gideon and the people of Israel had forgotten whose they were. They had set up idols to other gods who they made. And he wanted them to remember who made you. And by the work of my hand, you have more capacity than you can even believe. So the same task is before us because he sees us, his people, as greater than we can ever see ourselves. You know, he doesn't save us just so that we can say, yay, I'm saved. He saves us so that we can go, yay, I'm saved. And now, because I know he lives in me, I can risk everything for him. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. That statement alone is risk, right? And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation so that we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Can we say yes to the way God sees us? Can you say yes? That you're an ambassador of Christ. I mean, that's kind of weird language, right? Ambassador, because you, you think of a whole bunch of things. Can you say yes, that Christ lives in me? That he is sending me to save the world. He's putting salvation, the message of salvation, Jesus himself in us to give to others. He's risking everything. On us. Go with your own strength and save your people. It's not somebody else's job. We can make a choice. We can go up into the mountainsides and hide. 
or more practically for our own selves, we can go into our own homes and lock the door. We can be in there diligently reading our Bible in the dark. Or we can take the risk to open our door, walk out, go talk to our neighbor, find out where they are with Jesus, pray with them, love them, actually come closer to them, and don't just wave from afar, right? You guys are getting uncomfortable already, I can tell. So that is your risk. They may actually find out a little bit about you too. They might find out that you are kind of really imperfect. They may find out that um, you probably need Jesus more than they do. They may go, man, they are messed up. But at the same time, you will be risking because the ministry of reconciliation has been given to us. May we go out and know that as we serve God, that he sees us as wondrously made, ready to serve and love others for him. This morning we have an opportunity as well as a church. We have a partnership with a church called Pilgrim Lutheran. It's basically on the opposite side of 610 from us. They are putting together some trucks and they're going to be looking for some supplies. They may look for some volunteers. We don't have all the details yet because they're still putting things together for a response for the people who've been affected by, Flor affected by Florence. So as things are coming in, the storm is still moving through that area. Flooding is still not to the crest, so they're not sure exactly what they're going to be facing. But we're going to be putting that out in our group me. So if you're on Prayer Warriors or Covenant Family, you'll have some details there on how you can give. A lot of it will be taking supplies and just dropping it off at Pilgrim. We'll make sure you have all the information. There will be some donations that you can give. There might be some time that you can share. So this is the way Oikos is going to help participate in helping those who've been affected by Florence, is that we're going to put, get our hands dirty with another church. And that church's name is Pilgrim. So as you hear things about Pilgrim, it's kind of a different name, you know, for a church. But who are we talking? <laughs> so Pilgrim and Oikos are working together. So when you hear things about Pilgrim, just know they're our partner in ministry, and we're excited to work with them. Their senior pastor, his name is Josh, and so if you hear things about Pastor Josh or Pastor Duffy is doing this, that's what we're talking about is our partner with Pilgrim. So as we get ready to um, think about where the Lord is asking us to risk, my prayer as I enter that time of prayer before we do the Lord's Supper is that we can settle our hearts and begin to see the way he sees us. That we can reflect that yes, we need his forgiveness, his, that we need it. But at the same time that he's made us beautifully and that we better not forget it.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we get to engage with your word, that we get to hear some stories throughout this year, one being about Gideon. And next week, we're going to hear even more about this guy, Gideon, who was the least in his family, who was the least in the nation. And yet you saw something in him that he could not see himself. Lord, I know that every one of us here today cannot see exactly what you see in us. And sometimes when you're asking us to do something that goes beyond what we know what to do, we get scared. And we forget that when you are with us, we can do anything. So may those words that you gave to Gideon, go and do it because I am with you. Can we hold on to that, Lord? Help us to hold on to that. When fear starts to overtake us, Lord, help us to remember that you are with us. Not because you have to, not because you're forced to, but because you want to. You sent your son because you wanted to, because you want us to be with you. Lord, help us to see those fingerprints that you have put upon us. The gifts and the talents that you so graciously just gave us. And may we use it for you. And may the excitement that we can have walking alongside of you each day remind us how much you want us. Lord, we love you even when we forget to love you. Help us to look for you when our eyes get distracted and look other ways. Lord, forgive us when we don't really look like you. Forgive us when we forget whose we are. Forgive us when we forget that we're your children. Lord, we thank you that you put a place for us at your table. And as we, in a few moments, celebrate the supper that you gave us, that we can give thanks. That it isn't just something that we do because we're in church. It isn't something that we do just because, just because you told us to. But we get to do it because you invited us to your table. Lord, help us to see this as a gift and give thanks for it. As we walk through each day, help us to give thanks and remind ourselves of all the great things you've already done. And we thank you for the prayer that you gave us as we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.